Welcome to the Paranormal Factor Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Wright. Thanks for stopping by. This is the place to explore mysteries, investigate the otherworldly, and share stories of the inexplicable and the strange. You see, within the realm of our daily, ordinary lives, there is a paranormal factor always waiting to reveal itself. So let's begin exploring together the truly weird. Welcome listeners and thanks for stopping by. I'm glad you could join me for this new episode where we confront one of the most frightening of all supernatural creatures. But before we get started, let me remind you to visit our Facebook page where you'll find monsters, many of which I'll bet you don't know about, at least not yet. Quizzes with answers given during the next episode, film, TV, and book recommendations, and some current paranormal news stories from around the world. Every week we put out new content just for you. Now, on to our episode. It is encountered in the wilderness, born of blood and suspected to be the supernatural consequence of cannibalism. It is one of the most feared of all cryptids, the Wendigo. The Wendigo has been said to exist for centuries. Legends tell of it hunting Native American tribes and preying upon early travelers in the wilds. A folk story collected in the early 20th century by Lottie Seacogsquaw Marsden, an ethnographer of the Chippewas First Nation, is a good example of the legend of the Wendigo. In the story, a Wendigo displays the ability to use tools and capacity to survive partial dismemberment and even engages in self-cannibalism. The tale reads as follows. One time long ago, a big Wendigo stole a Native American boy, but the boy was too thin, so the Wendigo didn't eat him right away. It traveled with the boy, waiting for him to gain more weight and get fat. The Wendigo had a knife, and it would cut the boy on the hand to see if he was fat enough to eat. But the boy didn't get fat because they traveled too much, keeping him thin. One day, they came to a Native American village, and the Wendigo sent the boy to the village to get some things for him to eat. It gave the boy only so much time to go there and back. The boy told the people the Wendigo was near them and showed them his hand where the Wendigo had cut him to see if he was fat enough to eat. They heard the Wendigo calling the boy. It said to the boy, Hurry up and don't lie to those people. But the villagers kept the boy and protected him. Some people from the village then went to where the Wendigo was and cut off his legs. They went back again later to see if he was dead. But it wasn't dead. It was eating the marrow from the inside of the bones of his legs that were cut off. The people asked the Wendigo if there was any fat on them. It said, You bet there is. I've eaten lots of you. No wonder they're fat. The village people then killed him and cut him to pieces. And the village recorded that this was the end of this giant Wendigo. What are these terrifying Wendigo creatures? And where do they come from? What do legends and witnesses say they look like? What powers and abilities do they have? And what are some of the encounters that have come to light in the past and recently? Well, let's find out. In Minnesota's North Woods, the forests of the Great Lake region and regions of Canada, there is said to live an evil and dangerous being called a Wendigo. This creature may appear as a monster with some human characteristics or as a spirit who has possessed a human being and made them monstrous. 
The Wendigo is a mythical creature or spirit that originates from and is strongly connected to the oral traditions of Native American and First Nation regions. Visually, it is often depicted as being a cross between human and deer, moose or bear, and is carnivorous and bloody. While pop culture sometimes associates it with Yetis and Bigfoot, that often strays from the Wendigo legend's original form, which goes back to at least the 19th century. Many of the original stories have it starting as a human and slowly becoming a giant with a frozen heart, succumbing to cannibalistic urges from the long, wintry months of isolation. While it can be described as a physical creature, in other stories it is more supernatural or even psychological, strongly associated with winter, coldness, famine, starvation, and eventually the hunger that results in cannibalism. The Wendigo is a malevolent spirit that arouses feelings of insatiable greed and hunger, the desire to cannibalize other humans, as well as the tendency to commit murder in those that fall under its influence. Although descriptions can vary, common to all of them is the view of the Wendigo as a malevolent, dangerous supernatural being. While we use the word Wendigo here, as is usually the case, folklore cannot be tied to one specific version, place, or person. The word Wendigo has many variations from many different Algonquin-speaking Native American tribes and many different spellings. But it's impossible to find any particular origin beyond zeroing in on a general time, the 18 to 1900s, a region, Upper North America, and people, Algonquin-speaking Native Americans. The Algonquin legend describes the creature as a giant with a heart of ice. Sometimes it's thought to be entirely made of ice. Lore often states its body is skeletal and deformed, with missing lips and toes. The Ojibwe describe it this way. It was a large creature, as tall as a tree, with a lipless mouth and jagged teeth. Its breath was a strange hiss, its footprints full of blood, and it ate any man, woman, or child who ventured into its territory. And those were the lucky ones. Sometimes the Wendigo chose to possess a person instead, and then the luckless individual became a Wendigo himself, hunting down those he had once loved and feasting upon their flesh. So what does the Wendigo look like? Just as there are different versions of the word Wendigo, there are many variations on the creature's appearance. In some representations, the Wendigo is described as a giant humanoid, a foul stench or sudden unseasonable chill might precede its approach. Although Hollywood film representations often show human-beast hybrids featuring antlers or horns with the Wendigo name, in actuality such animal features do not appear in the original indigenous stories. Basil H. Johnston, an Ojibwe teacher and scholar from Ontario, gives the following description of a Wendigo. The Wendigo was gaunt to the point of emaciation, its shriveled skin pulled tightly over its bones, with its bones pushing out against its skin, its complexion, the ash gray of death, and its eyes pushed back deep into their sockets. The Wendigo looked like a gaunt skeleton recently disinterred from the grave. What lips it had were tattered and bloody. The Wendigo gave off a strange and eerie odor of decay and decomposition, of death, and corruption. In Ojibwe, Eastern Cree, and other tribal lore, Wendigos are often described as giants many times larger than human beings, a characteristic absent from myths in other Algonquin cultures. 
whenever a Wendigo ate another person, it would grow in proportion to the meal it had just eaten, so it could never be full. Therefore, Wendigos are portrayed as simultaneously gluttonous and extremely thin due to starvation. In fact, the Wendigo is seen as the embodiment of gluttony, greed, and excess. Never satisfied after killing and consuming one person, they are constantly searching for new victims. A Wendigo retains the human's powers of cognition and speech, and in some depictions may clearly communicate with his prospective victims and threaten or taunt them. Other Native American versions of the creature spoke of a gigantic spirit over 15 feet tall that had once been human but had been transformed into a creature by magic. Though all of the descriptions of the creature vary slightly, the Wendigo is generally said to have glowing eyes, long yellowed fangs, terrible claws, and overly long tongues that are a disgusting dark blue. Sometimes they're described as having pale yellowish skin. According to ethno-historian Nathan Carlson, it's also been said that the Wendigo has massive eyes, like an owl. Others say the Wendigo has either no fur at all, or snow-white fur, often blood-stained, or matted bloody hair. Occasionally, Wendigos are described as exceptionally thin, with the skull and skeleton pushing through its mummy-like skin, but other stories describe the Wendigo as a well-fleshed-out giant. But no matter which version of appearance sounds the most intriguing, all are horrific to encounter. This is obviously not a creature you want to run into on a hike in the forest. So, how does one become a Wendigo? In the legend and lore of Wendigos, there are eight ways you can become one. A horrible fate, without a doubt. First, a Wendigo can be created when a human resorts to cannibalism to survive. After feasting on another human's flesh, he transforms into a crazed man-beast roaming the forest in search of more people to kill. So, how does cannibalism result in a change to Wendigo? It is believed the shocking act of cannibalism itself summons a malevolent spirit of the forest. Second, humans who displayed extreme greed, gluttony, and excess might also be possessed by a Wendigo. This folklore served as a way of encouraging cooperation and moderation. Third, humans become Wendigos when possessed by a prowling spirit during a moment of weakness. Humans could also turn into Wendigos by being in direct contact with a Wendigo for too long. The fourth means is when a tribe is faced with a dire threat and with no other option, a brave warrior prays to an evil spirit of the forest. The spirit agrees to the pleas, possessing the warrior and transforming him into a Wendigo. This new form possesses more than enough power to deal with the threat, and after eliminating it, the warrior turned monster flees into the forest, never to be seen again. There is no returning to his former life. Fifth, the Wendigo spirit has been known to jump from body to body as its own body wears out. Possessing a new individual causes that person to now become the beast. Sixth, dreaming of the Wendigo is another possible method of transformation, almost certainly caused by possession during the night by a Wendigo spirit. Seventh, like other supernatural beings, the Wendigo is able to infect humans by biting them causing the victim to become another Wendigo, much like a vampire does. And finally, a sorcerer's curse can bring on the transformation as well. What are the Wendigo's abilities? The creature is said to have several skills and powers, including stealth, it is a near-perfect hunter, and the ability to control the weather through dark magic. 
Different versions of the Wendigo legend say different things about his speed and agility. Some claim it is unusually fast and can endure walking for long periods of time, even in harsh winter conditions. Others say it walks in a more haggard manner, as if it is falling apart. But speed wouldn't necessarily be a skill required for a monster of this nature. The Wendigo doesn't need to rely on pursuing his prey in order to catch it. Rather, one of his creepiest traits is his ability to mimic human voices, drawing victims to him. The Wendigo has the power to curse humans by possessing them. Once it has infiltrated their minds, it can turn them into Wendigos. The Wendigo is usually, but not always, endowed with powers of superhuman strength and stamina, allowing it to stalk, overpower, and devour its victims. Wendigos are also usually credited with exceptional eyesight, hearing, and sense of smell. In a supernatural way, Wendigos are thought to be the cause of ice storms, tornadoes, and violent winds. Whether they purposely cause these is unknown, but weather-related phenomena are believed to signal the Wendigo's presence. And Wendigos are commonly associated with the winter months and snow, and are said to have the ability to travel with the wind. Where is the Wendigo found? Well, it's said to inhabit the forests of the Great Lakes in Canada. In the United States, Wendigos are rarely seen outside of Minnesota and North Michigan. And if in physical form, they are thought to live in dark and isolated places such as caves or abandoned mines, often hibernating during portions of winter. The Wendigo's territory is vast, stretching from the Canadian Rockies and the Arctic Circle in the north to the Great Lakes region and the Dakotas in the south. So the Wendigo is obviously a very powerful creature, but is there any way to overcome this deadly and malevolent monstrosity? Well, according to some legends, Wendigos can be killed with a conventional weapon, such as a club or firearm. Still other legends claim only a knowledgeable tribal spiritual leader, a shaman, can dispatch a Wendigo with a specific spell and ceremony. This is certainly one entity you don't want to come across in the chilly winter woods, but there are a few who claim they did. There is little doubt they believed what they encountered was a Wendigo, and they were quite disturbed by the experience. So let's hear about a few Wendigo encounters and see what you think. Well, when you search for stories of the Wendigo, they are rather hard to come by. As hard as I looked, sadly, or thankfully, depending on your point of view, I was not able to find much in the way of tales of terror. Still, there are some references to sightings and odd encounters. Since the Wendigo is said to be a cold weather creature, most sightings have been reported in Canada, as well as colder northern states in the U.S. like Minnesota, Maine, Vermont, and Michigan. The Wendigo legend existed in Algonquin oral history for many centuries, long before Europeans arrived in North America. However, the first European written account of a Wendigo was by Paul Lejeune, a Jesuit missionary who lived among the Algonquin people in the early 17th century in what is now Quebec. In a report to his superiors in Paris in 1636, Lejeune wrote, This evil woman added that the Wendigo had eaten some people from the tribes that lived north of the river, that is called Three Rivers, and that it would eat a great many more of them if it were not called elsewhere, but another such beast would come in his place to devour them even up to the French fort, that it would slaughter the French themselves. Father Lejeune's report demonstrates 17th century Europeans believed in evil supernatural spirits 
just as strongly as their First Nations contemporaries. In fact, Father Lejeune's report predates the Salem witch trials by nearly 60 years. Missionaries in what became Canada continued to report legends of the Wendigo until well into the 20th century. Stories could also be found in the western frontier in the 1800s, among Plains indigenous peoples and employees of the Hudson's Bay Company. Some of the company's trader records describe encounters with indigenous spiritual leaders claiming to descend into fits of religious passion. Indigenous peoples often accuse these people of being Wendigos. Hudson's Bay Company traders sometimes describe them as mad. In some cases, community members or relatives of the accused killed the suspected Wendigo as a precaution. Even at the turn of the 20th century, the Algonquin tribes blamed many unsolved disappearances of people on Wendigo attacks. The vast majority of supposed Wendigo sightings happened between the early 1800s and 1920s. Fewer reports of the creature have surfaced since then. But every so often, an alleged sighting emerges. Most recently, in 2019, mysterious howls in the Canadian wilderness led some to question whether they were caused by the infamous Wendigo. A series of howls and shrieks recorded in the Canadian wilderness left a hunter and government biologists searching for explanations. Gino Mikus was out hunting grouse with his wife and grandson in the forests of northwestern Ontario, more than 50 kilometers from the closest town, when they heard a series of eerie noises in the distance. When it let out the first scream, I thought it was a moose, but my mind changed when it screamed again and again, Mikus told the media. A resident of Sioux Lookout, Mikus is an avid hunter and has grown accustomed to the sights and sounds of the region. Moose, black bears, and wolves are relatively common sights in the backcountry. I've heard many different animals in the wild, but nothing like this. I grew up hunting with my grandfather for the first 12 years of my life, he said. The howls initially came from the distance, but soon they appeared to move much closer, said Mikus. We could hear it moving. It sounded kind of heavy, Mikus told CTV News. But my wife, well, she got scared, picked up our grandson and started walking fast toward the vehicle. As the group retreated, Mikas pulled out his phone and began recording the howls as well as his grandson trying to mimic them. The video, since posted to YouTube, has received more than half a million views. Some speculated the sounds could have come from a grizzly bear. While the species has never been documented in the region, a recent study found their range is dramatically larger than originally thought. Others speculated it could be a large wolf, but the footage also prompted speculation it might offer evidence of the Wendigo, the legendary cryptid said to roam areas of Canada. Biologists with Ontario's Ministry of Resources and Forestry were skeptical the sounds came from an unidentified species, but also admitted they're not certain of the source, said spokeswoman Jolanta Kowalski in an emailed statement to media. One hiker who was present in the area at the time said, I've heard many different animals in the wild, but nothing like this. As is the case with much in popular culture, a story that involves a monster is usually morphed into a more vague boogeyman rather than the underlying meaning and metaphor that relates to the monster or spirit. The Wendigo of popular culture often gets most everything about the Wendigo wrong, says Brady DeSanti, 
a professor of religious studies at the University of Nebraska, including the depictions of Native Americans in First Nations communities. According to most Native American Wendigo legends, the physical form of a Wendigo is often said to be human-like. Uh, over time, it becomes a giant. In some stories, the Wendigo has a heart of ice and is so hungry for flesh that it chews its lips off. Conversely, when the Wendigo appears in North American pop culture, well, it's usually likened to a werewolf, vampire, yeti, or some combination thereof. To take a more scientific and even cryptozoological perspective, it's possible to look at and examine real-world sightings of Wendigos over the years. Many of the most famous cases of Wendigo sightings are held up as true crime examples of mental illness. In modern psychiatry, the Wendigo lends its name to a form of psychosis known as Wendigo psychosis, which is characterized by symptoms like intense craving for human flesh and an intense fear of becoming a cannibal. Wendigo psychosis is described as a culture-bound syndrome. In some First Nations communities, other symptoms such as insatiable greed and destruction of the environment are also thought to be symptoms of Wendigo psychosis. A well-known case involving Wendigo psychosis was that of Jack Fiddler, an Ochi Cree chief and medicine man known for his powers of defeating Wendigos. Fiddler claimed to have defeated 14 Wendigos during his lifetime. Some of these creatures were said to have been sent by enemy shamans, and others were members of his band who had been taken with the insatiable and curable desire to eat human flesh. In such cases, family members usually asked Fiddler to kill a very sick loved one before they turned into a Wendigo. It's said Fiddler's brother, Peter Flett, was killed after turning Wendigo when the food ran out on a trading expedition. Hudson's Bay Company traders, the Cree, and missionaries knew the Wendigo legend, though they often explained it as mental illness or superstition. Regardless, several incidents of people turning Wendigo and eating human flesh were documented in the company's records. In 1907, Fiddler and his brother Joseph were arrested by the Canadian authorities for murder of an individual they said was a Wendigo. Jack committed suicide, but Joseph was tried and sentenced to life in prison. However, not everyone buys into the concept of Wendigo psychosis. Whether this is a real affliction is still a highly disputed discussion among the medical community. In his 2004 essay, Revenge of the Wendigo, on disorders and treatments of the behavioral health industry in the United States and Canada peculiar to indigenous people, James B. Waldrum wrote, No actual cases of Wendigo psychosis have ever been studied, and Lou Marano's scathing critique in 1985 should have killed off the cannibal monster within the psychiatric annals. So where does that leave us, listeners? Wendigos are said to be cursed to wander the land, eternally seeking to fulfill their insatiable appetite for human flesh. Wendigo creature sightings are still reported, especially in northern Ontario, where traders, trackers, and trappers have allegedly spotted it for decades. The Wendigo is still believed by people to roam the woods and the prairies of northern Michigan and Minnesota, as well as Canada. Many have given Kenora, Ontario, Canada, the title of Wendigo Capital of the World. Sightings of the creature in this area have continued well into the 2000s. Whether you believe the Wendigo lurks in the woods at night or not, this is not just another boogeyman story meant to scare people for no reason. 
The legend of the Wendigo has long been associated with real-life problems like limitless greed, selfishness, and violence. It's also linked to the many cultural taboos against these destructive actions and behaviors. Basically, the Wendigo can function as a symbol for gluttony and an image of excess. As author Basil Johnston wrote, the idea of turning Wendigo is a very real possibility when the word refers to self-destruction rather than literally becoming a monster in the forest. Today, the Wendigo shows up most often in popular media. Much like other legendary beasts, the Wendigo remains a fixture in pop culture in modern times. The creature has been referenced and sometimes even depicted in a variety of hit television shows, including Supernatural, Grimm, and Charmed. It has also starred in dozens of books and fictional stories. The Wendigo has even been featured in video games and comic books. Legends of the Wendigo reveal much about the beliefs, ways of life, social structures, and traditions of the people who tell the stories. Maybe the real story of the Wendigo can actually be found in what it symbolizes, rather than a real flesh-and-blood monster. After all, most Wendigo stories begin with an individual or small group trapped in the wilderness without food for an extended period, alone and in the cold. Still, it's chilling, even disturbing, and possible to believe there may be a huge supernatural creature hunting in the frozen forests and mountains of the north, eternally starving and craving human flesh. Well, in our next episode, we look at the legend of the green children of Woolpit, two children of unusual skin color who reportedly appeared out of nowhere in the village of Woolpit in Suffolk, England, sometime in the 12th century. They were a very strange pair. To begin with, they were entirely green in color. They also spoke in an unknown language and would only eat raw broad beans. They claimed to have come from a place called St. Martin's Land, where the sun never shone. According to one version of the story, the girl said that everything in St. Martin's Land was green. Join us for a short Legends episode that looks at the strange case of the green children of Woolpit. Next time on the Paranormal Factor Podcast. And now it's time for the episode quiz. Yep, that's right, it's quiz time. So let's get to it. This week's quiz, what is a bruja? Is it A, a type of chupacabra? B, a Puerto Rico Bigfoot? C, a witch? Or D, a ghost woman? Once again, what is a bruja? Is it a type of chupacabra? A Puerto Rico... Bigfoot, a witch, or a ghost woman? And the answer is... C. A witch. You may occasionally hear the word bruja or brujo used in discussions about magic and witchcraft. These words are Spanish in origin and are used in many Spanish-speaking cultures in Latin America and the Caribbean. It refers to people who are practitioners of witchcraft. Bruja, with the A at the end, is the female variation, while a brujo with an O at the end is male. Typically, the word bruja or brujo is used to apply to someone practicing low magic or even sorcery within a cultural context. In other words, a contemporary practitioner of Wicca or other neo-pagan religion might not be considered a bruja, but the wise woman on the edge of town who offers hexes and charms may be one. 
In general, it's considered a negative term rather than a flattering one. The Brujas inherited traits from Catholicism, and yet the Catholic Church had deemed them as evil and demonized them. In some places, their demonization has come to an end on this scale, and they are left as they are, but in others, Brujas are forced to not practice their form of magic. With the increasing rate of persecution amongst practitioners since the colonization of the Afro-Latino Caribbean, Brujeria has been forced into modernization to combat erasure. Brujeria doesn't participate in community, hierarchical, or initiation-based practice or membership. Rituals are interdependent on the procedures, practices, and attitudes passed down by its participants and heavily depend on forces of nature and the spontaneity of the spirits. Some commonalities include basic ritual gestures, communication during divination, possession, and specific components of altars. The practice of brujeria, which is a form of folk magic, usually involves charms, love spells, curses, hexes, and divination. Many practices are rooted in a blend of folklore, traditional herbalism, and, as previously mentioned, Catholicism. In practice, brujas stress to not believe in ritualistic objects or hold too much relevance in the material representations of the spiritual entities. Rather, they focus on the messages and powers of the entities that inhabit these icons that are also used to summon ancient demons. Brujas and practitioners of brujeria never question the spirits. Methods of surrender training is the only lesson brujas aim to teach. The expectation is to have faith in the spirits, and the spirits will dramatically reveal what is meant to be shown. Brujas are known for practicing both dark and light magic. So, for example, if a child or animal disappears, a bruja is often suspected of spiriting them away. As a result, parents in some areas keep the windows shut at night for fear of brujas. At the same time, however, if a mainstream medical cure can't be found for an illness, a bruja may be consulted. In addition, some traditions hold that brujas can change their shape, inflict curses through the evil eye, and otherwise use their powers for good or evil. There are, is always a way to protect yourself from brujeria with a method called shielding, which is all about creating a barrier to protect yourself from negative energy. An energy barrier is like a second skin, and it can keep you safe from any magical influences or threats that you might confront in your life. And today, brujas and brujeria are becoming more associated with the reclaiming of practitioners' feminine power. The movement has spawned a more positive reputation, and even new followers. Well, that'll do it for this episode. A theme song is Knockers by Cinco, courtesy of Upbeat Music. Hey, before you leave, if you could, please do me just two favors. First of all, if you did enjoy the show, please leave a like on your favorite listening application. And secondly, if you liked what you heard, please spread the word. Love to have some new listeners out there to join you. I'm your host, Richard Wright. Keep your eyes open for the unusual folks, and thanks for stopping by. <laughs>